Welcome to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour, with your co-host, Richard Geiger. Hello. Pudding people, we have a wonderful episode for you today. We have a returning guest, somebody that we really enjoyed talking to last time. We talked about history. We may talk about some more history. We are definitely going to talk about current events this time. Andrew Graham. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, in terms of current events, I had a better day than Michael Cohen did. I think (laughs) think it's fair to say. Yes, we're recording on the day that... uh, that Cohen was sent. This is this is where we tiptoe past politics. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, no, it's it's great to be here, and uh, you know, the pleasure is all mine. It's fun talking to you guys. Yeah, so we've got hopefully a lot of things to talk about, whether it's current stuff or more, you know, stories from the past because we like both of the things. So, well, let's start with the beginning because this is an exciting time. Now, this episode is going to air in approximately a week and a half. Mm-hmm. So some of the information may be just slightly dated when it gets there, but not too much. Not it's too much, yeah. Pretty current. So this is a very interesting basketball season, I have heard. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, certainly it is, I think, not just for uh, Indiana fans or Hoosier State fans, but for Big Ten fans. Um, the last I looked, and I'd have to go back and check my numbers, but it's fairly close to being up to date, in terms of Ken Palm Top 50, which is which is a computer-oriented evaluation system that that ranks teams, um, that's that's very influential now. Uh, in fact, the 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 NCAA has has its own new computer uh, quantifying system in terms of judging teams or ranking teams that they're going to use to help determine the NCAA field. But field, anyway, yep. the, the Ken Palm uh, breaking down the conferences. By top 50 wins, in other words, you, you played a foe that is ranked in the Ken Pop top 50, among the top 50 teams in the country. The Big Ten had 27 victories against top 50 foes, and the next best conference had 12. That's and that that's big difference. Uh, yeah, and that and that that to me is a very revealing number. Uh, it's been a heck of a start for the Big Ten. So they've not only they not only have the highest winning percentage of all the conferences, but they've beaten quality teams. They've beaten a lot of ranked teams. Uh, and it's been, you know, so it, now, especially that the conference has uh, shifted to a 20-game league season. We now play 20 conference games as opposed to 18, which is what it was before. <laughs> this is a heck of a year to start that because, uh, you know, to, 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 to go into that, uh, we actually played two December games last year, too, if you remember, to kind of make this transition. Uh, it's going to be a long, tough slog, and whichever teams are, like, in the top fourth of the league by the end of it are going to have earned that, you know, because there, there are no gimme games, there are no easy games. Uh, people say, well, you know, what about Rutgers? Well, Rutgers went down to to Miami and won on the road against Jim Laranaga's team during the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Rutgers beat IU in the in the conference tournament last, last spring. Year. I mean, <laughs> there are no bad teams. I mean, and 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 a lot of the teams that are not considered to be traditionally strong basketball programs have really good teams. Nebraska has a really good team, and Tim Howell's a really good coach. Pat Chambers is a really good coach at Penn State. And they're tough, you know. Penn State's been tough for a while, and they haven't. It's not like they've been. They've, they've gobbled up some twenty-one seasons. I feel like, yeah. you know, and they, they just won the NIT. You yeah, know, they, they, they've, they've, you know. So it's like, 
Northwestern had never been to the NCAA. Well, they have now, and they're pretty good. That was, again, Collins is a heck of a coach. I mean, when IU went in and won at Penn State, that was a heck of a win. Any road win in the Big Ten this year is a major accomplishment. And, and the team that had played at Penn State before that was number 12 ranked previously unbeaten Virginia Tech, which has a heck of a team, went into to Penn State and hit 10 out of 19 for three-point range and lost. And lost. That's what we're talking about here. Hmm. So, so it's serious stuff every time you take to a Big Ten hardwood this winter. Well, you had mentioned the 20-game season instead of the 18-game season. What are your thoughts? Because I kind of thought it was pretty interesting that they did the conference games right at the beginning of December. Mm -hmm. And then there's a little bit, you know, uh, most every team has a couple of non-conference games then. And then the meat of the schedule kind of picks back up again. What was your thought about doing that? right at the beginning of December. I actually like it. It used to be that they could find the entirety of the Big Ten schedule from January on. Yeah. So everything before the turn of the year was non-conference. Non-conference. And frankly, you know, a lot of the programs have to play a certain number of home games with home guarantee, you know, where they're, they're going to make enough money. Money. So, oh, so they're yeah. not going to be playing the home road stuff with, with some of the teams, some of the non-conference teams that they schedule. So... The, the, everybody wanted to retain, like, you know, Indiana plays Butler in the Crossroads Classic Saturday. I love that event. You know, it's got Notre Dame playing Purdue, Purdue. in the That'd opener and then IU Butler. I mean, as an old, old-time old Hoosier, I mean, yeah. that, 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 that flicks my back. You know, I really like that. Uh, but to, to, so to, ma- to maintain that, you know, you have to schedule in a certain way. And, and there have to be certain breaks in the schedule where you're not just, you know, making it a baton death march, you mm. know, through the non-conference before you hit the baton death march, which is the Big Ten season. Yeah. So so I like the fact, though, that they put a couple of conference games into December for two reasons. One, it makes the conference slog just a little shorter, number one. And number two, it is kind of a, uh, you know, heads up to everybody. It's kind of a... a, a it's kind of it's kind of a little a little message to everyone that okay here's the level to which one should aspire this is the intensity level that you're going to be dealing with and especially if you have a young team and you're incorporating freshmen and the upperclassmen are trying to tell them okay well the Big Ten Big Ten plays different well you can actually show them that in December now as you're starting to develop your team and say okay here's why it's different you know. Indiana has won three straight games now by a combined total of five points. They, 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 they beat Northwestern in the hall. They had that win at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Then they edged Louisville by two uh, on Saturday. And that was a great basketball oh, game, yeah. I thought. A tremendous yeah. game. And the Louis- Louisville's got their own issues, but they'll yeah. always have, I feel like, a decent – because well, they, they can draw from a pretty good base. They, they can, and, and, and normally – Without a bunch of upheaval, they, they probably could recruit a guy like Romeo Langford or whatever. He's from right across the river there. Yeah. But but no no they'll be good. You know, they 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 hired the former the former Xavier coach. You know who's you know, Chris Mack who's going to be really really good there. So no they're going to be tough. And they, their team this year is really tough. They're really good. <laughs> Anybody watch that game should be you know will be under no illusions about that. That 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 they've bought into what what happened was they brought in a bunch of kids. Uh, some of whom were graduate transfers, so they're experienced players. 
guys who had played in the ACC, that kind of stuff. I mean, they, so when they came into Assembly Hall, they're not afraid. You know, they're going to play, you know, and they're just going to try and whoop you. And that's how that game was. I mean, it was toe-to-toe, great, great game. Neither team led by more than five, I believe is correct. It, it was it was like serious stuff. And uh, so that helps prepare you for Big Ten. So so now Indiana always played, you know, speaking from an IU context here, Indiana always played reasonably good competition, you know, at times during the preseason. But too many of the preseason games were just sort of cakewalk games where you're not really challenged and it doesn't really help build your resume no. for the for the committee in March. Well, now, you know, Indiana plays not just Louisville and Butler in December, not just Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They play a couple of Big Ten games. Those extra games are replacing games against nondescript state that, that, that now you're not playing. So it'll help the Big Ten not only prepare their teams for the tough road ahead in terms of conference play, it'll help them get their teams into the NCAA, NCAA tournament field because the strength of schedule, the, the mathematical numbers that build up over the season will be enhanced by games like that in December. It's a little different from the football schedule where those cupcakes – even though they're cupcakes, it still counts as a victory. Yeah, yes, and that and that buys you money for a bowl game at the end. Correct. So it's it's totally different from it, a basketball it, it standpoint. Is different. Totally it is different. different. You know, right now we've got a fourteen playoff in football. You know, now if you had a, a thirty-two team playoff in football and everybody was trying to make the thirty-two team field, then those non-conference football games would matter a little bit more too. Totally different. Yeah. But now, but you're exactly right. It's a it's a it's a apples and oranges thing right now. You know, in terms of non-conference, if you're Indiana in football, you want to you know schedule teams you can beat, frankly, and 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 you're not always going to be able to do that because some of the teams you play are going to be pretty good. It, it, people schedule well, pe- people schedule five years out. Yeah, like long long. You don't know how good that team's going to be. Correct, and so sometimes what looked like a winnable game isn't a winnable game by the time you get to it. Could have a new coach, you know. Yeah, like, yep, yep. So the the Big Ten. Uh, conference itself, like we were talking a smidge about this, and I was talking about it with a couple people in the last couple weeks. There's a lot of good teams in the Big Ten, but is there really any great team in the Big Ten? And I, I, my opinion was, I, I kind of thought that there, there really wasn't. Like there was a tier, and then there was a tier, but there wasn't a top tier. Yeah, that's what I thought too, but I thought wrong. After Michigan can win the national top. Yeah, they're Michigan is a out. really good no, team. They've shown that. They've proven that already. I mean, they, they 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 not only go into Villanova in the old Villanova gym and beat the defending champion. They beat them by thirty plus. I mean, it's like they have been incredibly impressive on the road, at home, doesn't matter, neutral court. And and the key is that John Beeline, who's the coach at Michigan, did a great job. He's always done a great job. So he's been a great coach all the way back to his years at West Virginia and before. Really quality guy, doesn't cheat, really good, really good coach. Everybody understands this to be true. But he he knew that he was maybe a bit deficient in at least one area in a general sense uh, on defense. His teams had always been really good and entertaining teams on offense, but at times they hadn't really – attain the level they needed defensively. So he hired a guy. He went out and found a guy who's essentially a defensive coordinator hmm. for his team. 
And I think you might see other basketball staffs kind of head this direction. You, you have it unofficially now. You don't have guys officially designated like offensive coordinator as we do in football. Just an assistant coach. But he's just an assistant coach. But I really think we might be heading in that direction. And he made that hire two years ago, and ever since then, I've just seen Michigan get progressively better and better defensively to the point now where they're really good on both ends and they are hard to handle. So, okay, now we've got to come with an outsider question. I'm going to preface this as our listeners may or may not know I don't watch sports. <laughs> I have some experience in the past. So I'm listening to talking about defense. And from what I remember, watching a lot of basketball when I was younger, you know, I remember, okay, there's zone defense, there's man-to-man, there's some changes up. What really does it mean to beef up your defense? What really can you do strategically on a basketball court when you've got five guys in a limited space? Isn't everything essentially just a combination of uh, a pick-and-roll maneuver, something that, uh, uh, you know, some some combination of that thing? In the in the 90s, it was. The, but, the, but the game, I feel like the game's evolved a yeah, lot. So I agree. You, you, I feel like you have to approach the value of the three-point line different than what it was even maybe five years ago. That's been the big evolution. You know, the way they, the way when they, when the three-point line came in, just from a mathematical point of view, if you hit at least a third of your shots from there, that's the equivalent of shooting 50% from two-point range. Sure. Just in terms of the payoff, in terms of how many points you get. So everybody pretty, pretty readily appreciated the importance of it. And, and most teams shoot above that. Most teams shoot, I don't know what the national average for three-point shooting is, but I imagine it's 35 on up, you know. Mm. And so mathematically, it pays to take a lot of three, a lot of threes. And they, they brought that along to try to clean up the post play because basketball had kind of gotten bogged down to where guys were just hammering on each other in the post. And the entire uh, modus operandi uh, for every offense, you know, the, the prime directive for every offense was to get the ball near the rim, get the okay. ball to the goal. Be, be well, the guy right, in the right. paint. Correct. Well, it made sense because you're so close. It should be an yeah. easy shot. Yeah, it's a high, more, higher percentage shot. That's right. Plus, you could get fouled and go to the free throw line and shoot where nobody's guarding you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now the game has changed. and It's more perimeter-oriented now. And obviously, there are a lot of different approaches one can take to try to counter that. Uh, Jim Beheim at Syracuse famously plays a 2-3 zone. Archie Miller at Indiana plays pack line man-to-man. Now, those, those, those are very different systems in many ways, but I, I would say two things that, 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 that matter that, that I think is going to be the key to any successful defense. In terms of the man-to-man that Archie's teams play, that has zone principles built into it as well. Whereas the 2-3 zone that Syracuse plays has man-to-man principles built into it. So I, I think, you know, that kind of thing is, is in various, in, in, in myriad varieties, that, that's, that's the approach. It's, you know, people either play man, most teams play man, and they, they incorporate territorial or zone or help side. Have you ever heard of the term help side? Mm-hmm. And what that means is that, you know, somebody on the side away from the ball is available Creep to help when when somebody on the ball side gets beat on a drive or whether there's a cut somebody so so there there's zone principles built into the man to man you know and this we could talk Bob Knight I mean it just goes all this we could talk Pete and <laughs> we go all the way back to Henry Iva and and, and the you know, but yeah 
So I think a hybrid approach is what teams do now, mm-hmm. whether they technically play a zone or whether they technically may play man-to-man. What it really is is a mixture of, of those two approaches, and, and you try to come up with something that suits your personnel. If, if, if you have really active athletes with a lot of length, you know, you can play zone. You okay. know, you, and, zone. And, but, you know, it helps for man, too, because you can get into the passing lane for man. But, but really quick, active, long guys, which is what Syracuse <clears throat> recruits, the reason they recruit those guys is because they can cover the whole half court pretty much out of their zone set, you know. And Indiana right now has a lot of guys. There's, a, there's another approach to basketball right now where uh, some people call it positionless basketball, where, where you have five guys who are essentially are interchangeable. This helps for man-to-man, for example, defensively, because you can switch screens and, and you're not at a disadvantage. If all of your guys are like six 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 seven and are athletic and and can and can jump and can muscle up a little bit, well, they could they could guard guys on the wings or they can guard somebody down on the blocks. They can switch the screen and you're not going to be subject to a mismatch. So they're they're you know it's a good question and I think that the 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 common denominator is that almost everybody mixes. The, the the foundational fundamentals from man, from man to man and zone into whatever works best for their team. Okay, follow up. I got one small follow up on that since I haven't been watching the games. I know you guys have. So from what you've been describing, does that mean because this is going back from memories? If somebody went out on and they're in three point zone, the general reaction was go ahead shoot. Mm-hmm. Has that changed the mentality of how people are playing? Is there a lot more pressure on the guys that are making those three-point shots? Well, you know, there is. I mean, you know, challenging the three-point shot is, is, is much more uh, a major component of defensive basketball than it was 25 years ago, I would say, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, it just is because more guys can hit it. Yeah. Well, the, what, 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 the, the guys that are 6'10", yeah, can hit it when you're in high school, now – you right. practice that, like that's like that's what a lot of teams want is that person that's that big that can make that three point. There's a position in basketball called stretch four, and what that means is a power forward who can go out and hit threes. He can stretch. Huh. He can stretch the defense. He can be coming down, trailing on a fast break, catch a ball and do a pull up three and hit it. Christian mm-hmm. Watford, who famously hit the shot against Kentucky uh, to to win that game, he's a stretch four. He's the kind of guy that can come down and uh, trailing and get a ball and shoot a three and make it. And, and so, you know, so the the game, once again, the game's evolved that way. I'm not a coach. I, I don't want this to sound <laughs> like I'm a coach. I, I'm just, I never coached. I, I played at uh, uh, middle, like a Midland high school level in Indiana 50 years ago. So I'm not, I'm not, it's not somebody who studies the game technically. So I, want, I should have said that from the start. But, but we all who are fans, those of us who are fans or those of us who write about it or whatever, yeah, I mean, you learn at least a little bit after a while. And, and you know, uh, it's been interesting to me, just as a fan, watching it, to see how the game's changed, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years. Well, I, I think the evolution of the body type has a big thing to do with that, too. Because you don't, it's not like you get a lot of six ten seven foot people that can play like uh, Kevin Durant can. No. Or Joel Embiid, who is that big but has, like, meat on his body. Uh, or you see at Duke, who you know we talked about a little bit, the you know someone like Zion Williamson. That yeah. dude is a beast. Like yeah. he is just 
He's a big dude, uh, and I, he can I, I he laugh. can put his head at the top of the back. Like he just uh, is ridiculous. I, I, I laugh <laughs> because that's a guy that I think people do have trouble uh, uh, describing in an, in an analogous way. They don't know who to compare him to. He's, he's kind of an athletic freak of the of the sort that we really haven't seen before. So like Shaq, if he could jump higher, yeah, more like Charles Barkley. Barkley. He, he reminds me of Barkley a little bit, like a six seven six eight Charles Barkley with a forty five inch vertical. Yeah, but, I, but, you know, it's, and, and who can shoot threes. I mean, he's he's a different player, but he he reminds me of him. He's built like him. He's kind of a round mound of a man child, and he just you know takes no prisoners. <laughs> so there's that. But he also is like three inches taller and has a 45-inch vertical and can hit threes. So and it's like, yikes. The, the argument is made that he's the third best player on his team this year. Well. He's a Pete. Yes. That's, now, that's an argument that's, to which I do not subscribe. Correct. <laughs> it, and and they, I think the discussion on that goes to third best team if you're thinking about him from an NBA standpoint. Like, but, mm, like, I, like what, are you, I what are you looking know. at? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, they obviously have two really good shooters on that team, you know, and perimeter players. The kid from Canada is, you know, their lead is core. But, I mean, yeah, Zion's the dude for me. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. He just does things. Higher and, ceiling, and, I feel like. And once again, look, Indiana Indiana not only got blown out in that game. I mean, they ended up losing by 21, but they were down by, by 30. But they, they not only got blown out in that game, Indiana played really badly. It, it wasn't just a Purdue or that uh, Duke was great because Duke was. I mean, Duke Duke was coming off its first and only loss out on, out in the in Maui to Gonzaga. Gonzaga, and so they were they were in kind of a surly mood anyhow. And, and then Indiana <laughs> came in and just played horribly. Just just made unforced turnovers, missed shots, missed easy shots. It was just one of those things where it was just a bad night at the office, and that was not the team to have a bad night against. Well, so, it was right out of the box. Like, it was a oh bad yeah, it was, it was start. Terrible. The start was, you were done. Terrible basically. from start to finish, pretty much. The second half was a little better. Indiana was Indiana actually scored more points than Duke did in the second half. But, but I mean, it was... It was it was way over way early, <laughs> and, 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 and that wasn't just because Duke played well. It was because Indiana played poorly, and that's really the only – Indiana didn't play very well at Arkansas either, but should have won that game, actually. They had a, they had a tip on, hanging on the rim. If it drops, they, they win. So the Duke loss really could be Indiana's only loss so far. And what I've liked about IU, and I'll just throw this out there, is that – They've shown a tremendous collective will to win when it's crunch time and everything's on the line. They've showed the, the willingness to step up. And I'm talking about guys like, you know, they have a freshman point guard, Rob Fennessey's from West Lafayette. And they went to, went to McCutcheon High School up there. Small school. Yeah. And, and, he, and he, you know, I, I heard about him for years. One of my old pals who was the best photographer I think we've probably ever had at the Herald Times, a guy named, and we've had great ones. But it was a guy named John Terhune, who's been the photographer up in, uh, for the Lafayette paper for many years now. And so he was telling me about this kid. He said, you know, he said, Drew, you should check this guy out. Uh, and then I saw him play as a sophomore in the state finals. Uh, he took McCutcheon to the state finals, and he was one of their best players, obviously. And he wasn't afraid. He's a sophomore in Bankers Left Field House, and they're going against Romeo Langford in New Albany, as a matter of fact. And and he just was stones. I mean, just just and so that impressed me. And so it doesn't surprise me 
but I'm seeing, you know, it's Indiana, Louisville. It's it's a marquee game. It's national TV. It matters in March who wins, you know, that kind of oh, game. Yeah. And his team's down, and down the stretch, you know, they're behind. Well, he hits the he hits a three from the right wing to give Indiana its first lead of the game. Then he hit another one with about a minute thirty left to give Indiana a lead for good. And it was just deathless ice water. Boom, we're up. <laughs> You're you know we're winning this game. Plus he got the defensive rebound after Louisville messed up the other end. But you know he got open. He didn't hesitate, and he went up and drilled it. And so that's been impressive to me, you know. And I've seen a lot of Big Ten teams like that. It's almost like there's there's a you know Indiana adds guys like Langford and 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 when you talk about Langford and Rob Finnessy, they come from programs that win. They're about winning. They 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 want they win the game. They, they don't the rest of it's just noise. They they they're gonna win the game. That's what they're used to doing. That's what they plan on doing. You know, and so it's impressive, and I see a lot of that from a lot of Big Ten teams this year. But they've won close games, you know, in very competitive situations, and, and so the league's just going to be just a free for all. It's going to be really fun to watch. I think the fur is going to fly early. I think it's going to be fun to watch the entire time. I, I guess what I have seen because I've watched more, paid attention more to the uh, Purdue games is that. They're kind of the opposite of what the Big Ten has been doing in that they pretty much lost all of oh, their the games. games yeah. yeah, and that's kind of been, I think, expected from that team, from my opinion, because they lost pretty much their entire team except for one of one person who is a potential All-American candidate. You know, but uh, I've always had this contention, and I, maybe it's just I'm watching things wrong. That they're like the most annoying slash worst rebounding team ever. <laughs> well, ever that hasn't been historically true, but I think this current Big Ten or this current Purdue team maybe is is a little shy there. The big issue for me, and once again, I'm somebody who pays attention to Purdue only in an ancillary way, as a you know they're a rival team and a Big Ten mm-hmm. team. So I do watch them. I watched a, almost all of the the game with Texas the other day, for example. Um, and th- their big issue is that yeah they 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 right now in terms of offense, they barely have a second option. You know, I mean Ryan Ryan Klein has good games, but not all the time. Yes, and he's a, he's a player that I really like. He's from Carmel. He's an easy kid to root for, and, and, and tremendous shooter. You know, he, he can obviously get hot and pour in like four threes in a row and be really helpful. We saw that a lot last year. I we feel did. like. But once again, the reason he's able to do that last year is because the defensive attention is drawn elsewhere. There there are so many threats on that team, which won the Big Ten title. I mean, there's so many threats on that team, mm. especially down low. I mean, you know, you, you had so much power down low. The teams had to try to take away the low post or double the low post when they could. And so, obviously, that helps leave shooters open. Now, Purdue has a great number one option, you know, like a first-team All-American kind of option who dropped 40, 40 on Texas, mm-hmm. you know. But they don't have much of a second-scoring option in a consistent way yet. And they, they, they don't have a third either. Now, they have various guys who could step up at various times, but you need a little bit more from game to game, and, and including down the stretch of a game, 
Because the other team can always take away one guy. Mm. I don't care how great that <clears throat> one guy is. They just double him up, which is what happened in the last position against Texas. Mm-hmm. And then he has to try to find somebody else to come through and shoot. And right now, Purdue's struggling to find who's going to do that, which people are going to step up and be the second and third or even fourth options when you need options. You Does know, it look like an experience game. thing, or is it? That's just a talent thing and a, and a roles <laughs> thing. I mean, anytime you have a lot of turnover, as Purdue did, you have to have guys come in, and, and you have to sort out the roles and have guys get comfortable with the roles to know when to take the shot and when to step up and, and when to defer and, and all of that. It just takes a while. Mm. And so, you know, uh, that's been an issue at times. And then, as he said, I mean, they're not an especially robust team physically, so they've been hurt on the boards. I mean, Harms is obviously really tall, but he's not really broad. So, yeah. so, so they've been hurt by physicality inside a little bit. Matt's a really good coach. Matt Painter's a really good coach. I'm an IU fan. We have Archie Miller, so I'm, I'm chuffed. We got a great coach. <laughs> you know, well, there are a lot of really good coaches in the league. You know, Matt's one of them. He's, shown, he's proven that over the years. And so he'll get it together. They'll be tough. When, when Indiana goes to play Purdue Lafayette, you know, I, I, know what, I know what that means. So it's like, yeah. you know, but right now they're searching a little bit. And I think that's where that, uh, you know, Michigan comes into play. What mm-hmm. we've talked about is if there is that elite team, it's probably them. And they do play good defense, but they got a lot of people that can get points. Score the ball. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you know, it's amazing. I mean, you know, you, you get you get Iggy coming in from Canada. All right. So 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 you graduate a great player in Wagner. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and you're thinking, you know, and you're thinking, wow, it's going to be really hard to replace him. Well, here's this guy. <laughs> He's he's not quite as tall, but he, he's maybe even more. T- you know, he's more talented in terms of scoring. Than, yeah. than Wagner was, and it's like yikes. I mean, they, they, so yeah, they've just reloaded. I mean, they 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 did get some key players back from their national runner-up team. You know, Matthews came back. They they got you know the point guards back. Point guards are really good, by the way. Michigan's point guard. So so they got guys back. But you're thinking, okay, it's going to be really hard to replace him and you know this guy and this guy. Well, they have. They did. They did. Yeah. Hmm. And so it's like they're really good. <laughs> How do you do that over a long period they of time? Just recruit well. And, and you and you evaluate well, you know. You say, okay, we're going to probably lose Wagner this year, so we need somebody in, in lined up to step in. That's what you do. I, I, mean, I think part of being a good coach is not only the X's and O's, but being able to tell you and your assistant coaches, you know, like go to someone's door and convince them to come to play in your state at your place. Sure. And that's no, it's that, that's its own that's its own level of. You competition got, right there. You got to have players. I mean, Knight, Knight confessed to me one time. He said, you know, I really blew it because I I decided I wanted to go hunting and fishing more, and I, 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 I turned the recruiting over to the assistants, and and the talent level went down. And Knight, Knight I think, believed that he could whoop anybody even with inferior talent, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it didn't turn out to be quite true, and so he, 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 he re-involved himself personally in the recruiting and and was starting to get better players again right at the end of his tenure here i think he knew jared jeffries was coming and sean may was in the pipeline that kind of stuff so he knew you know he, it was going to get better but but there was a little bit of a talent drop off and i don't care you know, knight was the best coach of his generation and i don't care how great a coach you are, coach you are you got to have guys you, you got to have guys at a, at a to aspire to a certain level of play and it's just the way it is you know so all right, so the 
Big Ten season will be starting up here soon, and we said there's a lot of good teams. So what other conference out there? Is it the ACC? I mean, is it some other conference like the SEC? You know, is there some other conference out there that has this same caliber of competition in it? Both those leagues are really good, actually, the one, the two that you mentioned. They're, they're probably the two other best leagues. The Big East looks a little down this year. Pac-12, not so sure. Big 12, eh, you know, good, but maybe not. The, the, the ACC is right with the Big Ten. I mean, the, the, the Big Ten ACC challenge was tied this year. You know, Purdue hangs on. Uh, yeah. would have been, but anyway, it's just but, a point. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was a, and here's the deal: the ACC should always win the challenge. Now, if you look at the old leagues as, as a, you know as constituted when we were growing up, the older leagues, you know, before expansion, and then you look at who the ACC added as opposed to who the Big Ten added. And it's just a joke in terms of basketball. The ACC added Louisville, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Pitt, teams like that that were traditionally very strong basketball programs. Mm -hmm. The Big Ten added football programs, Nebraska, Penn State, teams like that 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 had no basketball tradition or very little basketball tradition. They brought in Maryland, which had a good basketball Mm -hmm. tradition, was originally a member of the ACC, but Maryland's 0-5 in the challenge now, playing for the Big Ten. So so they haven't haven't held up their end of that bargain. And the other team, you know, and then Rutgers. The Big Ten brings in Rutgers, which is, you know, it doesn't have much athletic tradition in in either sport, to be honest. That was more of a market play. It was. It was, which I, I... Disagreed with at the time, and I still disagree with, and we can talk about that too if you want. You know, Jim Delaney's a lot smarter than I'll ever be, but I, I disagreed with that. I thought it was short-sighted, and I think that my opinion—I've I, I, been wrong a lot, but there, I've been wrong a lot of times. But that was not one of those times. I think I was right about that. But but so the ACC brought in all of this basketball power, basketball programs, Louisville, Syracuse, teams like that. So they should always win the challenge. I mean, you know, in terms of their old, what was in their old league, like Duke and North Carolina and NC State and, all, and Virginia and all those teams. And we had, you know, IU and Purdue and Michigan and Michigan State. You know, although, when you look at what added, added on to the old leagues, the ACC added basketball programs and we added football programs. Okay, dumb outside guy question here. What's the challenge? Oh, the Big Ten Ooh. ACC Challenge is an annual event now. And it's a, one of those created for TV events. It's, a, it's an ESPN event. Ah, it is. Okay. And it's pretty fun. It's been going on for over a couple of decades now. And uh, it takes, it matches up in December, early December, usually, every Big Ten team against every ACC team. And they, they, they come up with matchups they think are cool or, or Will entice an audience, but but the entire league plays. Although the ACC has to leave out some teams because it's a bigger league than the Big Ten is right now, you know, or at least it was. So so, but basically, you take every team, and then you know, Indiana might host North Carolina one year, and then play at Duke the next year. Hmm. Okay. And so it's and, and so it's called the ACC Big Ten. Or the Big Ten ACC challenges, depending on where your loyalties lie, <laughs> <laughs> and and. Uh, and it's a, and it's a fun event every year, and and then the 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 nature of play tends to be pretty good. You know, Indiana hasn't done particularly well, but he's done pretty well in the challenge. Uh, but you know, it's it's fun, and it's 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 one of those ways teams can 
add another quality opponent automatically to their schedule. And so it's good. So that's what it is. That's the challenge. Resume builder for the teams, you know, ratings builder for ESPN. So and And it's two days worth. They do it on two different days and there'll be ESPN, ESPN two, and a couple other channels. Yeah, and it's great. It's like three days of three three nights of really fun basketball where you're you're playing the main conference. Like those are the two leagues that historically have been the strongest basketball leagues in the last half century or so. So so that's fun to pair those up and say, okay, let's have at it. And I, But as I was saying, ever since the age of expansion hit, the, in terms of the teams that the ACC added as opposed to the teams that the Big Ten added, the Big Ten went for football during expansion and went for TV ratings during expansion and TV yeah. markets. They tried to bring in the East Coast market with Maryland to get D.C., Baltimore, and all of that, and then New York City with Rutgers. You know, cable networks, you know, local cable systems carrying the Big Ten network because those teams were to now reach the East Coast. Now, I don't think it's paid off. The cable's dying and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We can talk more about that if you want. <laughs> but, but in terms of expansion, the ACC, which historically has been a, a stronger basketball league than football, although their football is very good, they went for basketball. They they brought in teams that were great basketball programs historically, you know. I think the problem is for people from my perspective that don't really get into this, too many acronyms. Mm. <laughs> NIA, NCAA, AAC. Yeah. It's just okay. How does all that relate to each other? And then I try and have somebody explain it to me, and it doesn't sink in. Yeah, it's it's a like it's like it's like. Japanese to you then, but, but it, it, for 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 even nominal sports fans, if I say the ACC, they know they know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the Atlantic Coast Conference. They know that. They know who's in it. I don't have to explain to them that you know. Yes, you know Clemson's Clemson. member of the go. ACC, and Clemson's you know, not a bad basketball team. No, they yeah. are. They're not either. And then once again, historically, they're they're more potent in football than basketball. But nevertheless, they have a former Hoosier coach, and as a matter of fact, a guy that was one of Calvert Cheney's high school teammates down at Evansville Harrison is coaching Clemson. Hmm. One one thing that's interesting about the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is Tobacco Road. So you've got Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest. You know, they're all, they're all kind of in the same place. They didn't know jack about basketball in Tobacco Road until they imported a bunch of Hoosiers and Northeastern Yankees to show them what the heck to do. Mm-hmm. And that is literally true. You know, you, you go back to Norm Sloan and Evergates. I, I can just name you a bunch of, a bunch of Indiana coaches who went down there. Norm, Norm Sloan went to, to, to NC State. And built NC State into a basketball power. That's, that's what I'm talking about. They literally imported guys. They imported Indiana coaches and Indiana players because Indiana basketball was a thing. And they thought, okay, well, if we want to get put good in basketball, we got to hire guys from here. And then Northeast basketball, you know, Frank McGuire went down to South Carolina, which at that time was an ACC team. It's in the SEC now. But, uh, they, you know, he brings guys, you know, Billy Cunningham, one of the greatest North Carolina Tar Heels of all time, is. You know, a New York kid. He's from you know, so so they had to import their basketball to get good at it. Now they're fine. Now now, now they raise their own great high school players. Michael Jordan is from North Carolina. You know, mm-hmm. so high school basketball has improved down there, and obviously they can grow their own now. But but it's it's interesting that that basketball was literally transplanted. Interest in basketball was transplanted from 
Indiana and from the Northeast to the ACC. Historically, hmm. that's how it really got going. I guess that makes sense. Well, it does. I mean, because it was a winter game. It was an indoor game. You know, back when baseball ruled the roost and, you know, it was the national pastime for real. Still my favorite sport. But back when it was the national pastime for real, all those kids down south, they played baseball all year. You know, they could play baseball all year. And they did. Or they played football. Football was always huge down there, you know. And in the south, they have spring football for high schools, you know. Mm. So, so it's different down there. Basketball wasn't a thing. Here, you know, when it gets cold and the fields are fallow and everybody's bored to tears in the middle of February, you need something to do. <laughs> so, 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 so basketball became a thing. I've often wondered, like, why or how Big Ten baseball teams became successful like they have in the last few years. Uh, Purdue, IU, Minnesota have, had yeah. some, have fielded some good, tourney-worthy baseball teams yeah and it's a tremendous credit to them because they are clearing some major hurdles to be competitive at the national level you know they have some major disadvantages weather related mostly but also just historically i mean once again the 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 south and the west coast where it's temperate and where baseball can be played for months on end is where the best teams are it's where where the best prospects want to go play you know but as he says, the Big Ten has made some major inroads. And one of the reasons that's true is because people ask about that. It's a good question. People ask about it. It's like, well, yeah, but bear in mind, even with the demographic shifts we've had in terms of population and whatnot, it's still like, you know, 70% or whatever of the TV sets are still east of the Mississippi, all right? And, and the north is still much more populous than the south is. It's just true. It's, you know, Indiana's still, what are we, the... 13th largest state in terms of population, something like that. So all those lines, yeah. yeah. And so so there's just more people here. So do, do we produce good baseball talent? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we have more people. You know, we, we so so the Big Ten programs are now starting to keep those kids home because they have indoor practice facilities and they play in Florida in the spring and California and Arizona in the spring and take them to Hawaii and, and do stuff like that. So they found a way. To, to, to induce some of those kids to stay home, some of those best prospects to stay home. And it's paying off. And, and the coaching's good. You know, if the coaching's good, I mean, you know, a lot of kids want to see if they can play professional baseball. So they want to be developed. Well, if you show them, like, hey, you know, we got Kyle Schwarber, and he's a Cub now. He's a Cub. You know, so it's like that helps too. Yeah, and uh, I, I feel like if you look at if you are actually good at your sport and you succeed at your sport – Baseball is one of the ones where right out of high school, mm-hmm. like some team can sign you for like a $5 million signing bonus. Yep. Like right out of high school. It, it, would, it would be great if football and basketball had their own minor league systems the way that baseball does. Mm. The, 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 the colleges are the proxy surrogates for minor leagues, for, 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 for football and basketball. It's been an issue for a long time. A lot of the problems that plague the NCAA, the college governing board for, for sports and other organizations – it really stems from that. They 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 are they are trying to to grow future pros for the pro teams, so it isn't purely an academic mission. Now, Fred Glass will tell you. I think I saw this number quoted. Indiana right now is graduating ninety percent of its athletes who stay. It's that's really good. Excellent. You know, and, and 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 so it is good, and and that's up 
when Fred got here, I think it was 74%. So, but it's always been higher than the general student body because they, they ride herd on these people. You know, they, they have mm-hmm. tutors and they have counseling and they have study times. It's like, you know, if you're on the plane flying to a game, you're doing homework because they're making sure you're doing your homework. It's that kind of stuff. So well, so they do a good job with it. Well, that kind of was one of the questions that I had in, in terms of a lot, so much focus. I mean, we're looking at these student-athletes while they're competing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a lot of the mental goal is, I would like to compete professionally. Mm-hmm. And there's only so many spots. There, there are so few that it's basically unrealistic for almost all of them. Correct. So what happens when there is such a focus on the sports sides? I mean, obviously, like I said, they're, they're focusing mm-hmm. on their studies too, but, but what happens? What is the mindset? What is the preparation for these students coming out of college? That's a great question, and they, they work hard. I mean, you know, uh, they, they not only help kids get degrees, but they prep them for employment. They 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 go through mock interviews. They 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 do things for the athletes to make them understand that the real world is impending. Mm. You know, most of you are not going to go on to the NFL. You know, and so what are you going to do? You know, at some point you got to hang up the jock. You know, and then there there you go. You know, you you have to have Plan B. And 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 for them, they were all stars in high school and. Their family was really encouraged about their potential, and everybody's fired up, and everybody's telling them how great they are. Then they get to college, and they're just one of everybody's a great athlete. I mean, yeah. and, and then they realize at some point they're not a part of the elite at the college level, so they're not going to go pro. So then they start looking at other stuff. And at IU, I think IU does a, makes a good faith effort to prepare those kids for the job market and to help them get jobs and to, and to, and to, and to work along those lines and, and helps make sure that they graduate. You know, IU's got the, the Athletes' Bill of Rights now, which was something that was started by Fred. So basically, think about this. This is really cool. Right now, there's a guy named Tim Wilbur who was on campus at Indiana. Now, old folks like me, old fans, might remember the name. He, he started his career at Indiana playing football right after I graduated from IU, okay? He was the guy whose punt return basically won the Holiday Bowl. It's Indiana's first-ever bowl win under Lee Corso in 1978. Played a great BYU team led by Mark Wilson, a quarterback. BYU was ranked ninth in the nation. And Indiana got this great intuitive punt return by Wilbur toward the end where the ball bounced and looked like it was just going to roll dead and all of a sudden he swoops in and picks it up and runs through their entire team and then BYU missed a field goal at the end and Indiana won. So Tim Wilbur is the guy I'm talking about. He's 57 years old. He's on campus right now finishing his degree and IU's paying for it because the the, the athletic bill of rights says as long as you do, you know, you're, you're, you know, as long as you represent the university well and you hold up your end of the bargain, if you don't quite graduate, you can come back any time and, and, and we will pay. We will honor your scholarship and pay, wow. pay for your school. And so he's 57 years old and he is now completing his degree, for, as, as, as best I can understand. So... Uh, and we could get into this discussion. It would be an interesting <laughs> discussion because there are a lot of teams, there are a lot, there are a lot of people 
including a lot of my peers in the media, who love to just crucify the NCAA and love to, to pillage the notion of amateurism in, in terms of our, of our college sports and talk about what a joke it is and how exploited kids are. And I think they're just really wrong. They're wrong, 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 wrong. I think kids are tremendously enhanced and helped by this system. Sure, there are inequities. Sure, there are flaws. Sure, uh, all that money that's earned by the NCAA basketball tournament and the football bowl games, more of that should accrue to the student athletes. I agree with that. I'd pay stipends and I would increase the amount of money they get every month while they're in school. I would do all of that. But I love the system that we have. I love it. There are over 10,000 athletes in the Big Ten annually. Mm. And it's almost like a giant. And that's just the Big Ten. That's not counting nationwide. And if you're talking football and basketball, you know, I'm an old liberal. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a union guy. And people say, oh, you're exploiting their labor. The university's making all this money off of their labor. And I go, not really. It's a pretty good deal for them, too. Like, if you're, if you're an out-of-state athlete from, like, say, I'm just going to pick a guy, Marcus Oliver. From the Hamilton, from from the Cincinnati area, came in as a linebacking guy. Good, good, good prospect. Earned a starting job. You know, he was here for four years, and Zach Shaw, another kid from Ohio, was the linebacker. Was here for five. So let's let's, let's take Shaw as an example. What, what you know, at Indiana's out of state tuition now is what is it 47,000 okay, it's 47 yeah it's salty so 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 you take a kid who's from Coshocton Ohio like Zach Shaw or Marcus Oliver from Hamilton or whatever most people most of them stay five years you know athletics is like a job you know you got to put so much into it and whatnot so they take their time to graduate some of them graduate in three mm. but you can take five so if you take five, like Zach Shaw did. $235,000. Yes. That's in direct monetary value for tuition alone. For, for tuition. Okay. Yeah. Imagine, imagine for, how many people would kill coming out of yeah. IU to so, not so, have so, that on that, so that debt. The, the, no student loan debt. And, and you get free room and board. You get free medical care. You, know, you get three meals a day plus. You, you, if you want, you get everything. You know, if you want psychological counseling because you're homesick, if you want job uh, uh, advice and mechanisms that helped you get a job when you graduate, plus, so whatever that value, so you add that value in, plus you add the value of having earned a degree, what the exponential increase in your earning power over your lifetime is mm. because you have a college degree. Plus, it's like a it's like a giant affirmative action program. If you're talking football and basketball, that's a majority African American sports, and a lot of those kids they might be the first kid in their family to go to college. I've talked to them. I know that's that's the case a lot of the time. It's like a social program almost. They they no, not they don't all go to the NFL, but they go back to their communities with college degrees and they contribute to their communities and their families, and they have enhanced earning power to do so. And they have all the other things that benefit the, the, the mind and soul that comes from having a college experience. And it's like, and it's hard to even quantify that. So, so the people in my profession and the media who are crying all the time about how exploited the athletes are, and it's like, you know, it's like people, people don't go to watch Indiana football just to watch Zach Shaw. 
they go to watch the Hoosiers. The brand that, that creates the value is the university brand. It's not the individual player. There, there might be the occasional, you know, uh, uh, Rondale Moore or Johnny Manziel when mm-hmm. he was in school who, who creates some individual notoriety. And I think those guys should be cop. They should be able to sell jerseys and make money off their likeness. And sure, that's where you can have an Olympic model and help them make money. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. But people don't go, you know, like like Notre Dame's had a quarterback emerge this year has helped them, you know, make the college playoff. He's been really good. But people don't tune in to watch Notre Dame just to watch him play. They tune in to watch Notre Dame Notre football. Dame. They, they tune in to watch the Tide. It's the university brand name built up over decades that creates the money. The money comes from television revenue, not just ticket sales. It comes from TV revenue. And the, rev- and the revenue goes up and the ratings go up because people tune in to watch the Tide, not the individual players. So that's my other main argument about this. It's like, no, yes, the players should get more money. But to say that the players create the product and therefore create the money is like, no, they're part of it, yes. But the big money, the TV money, comes from ratings, and that's driven by the brand of the university athletic program that's built up over generations. That's where the money comes from. And so should the universities get some of that? Yes. Yes, they should. That's part of the game here. So, so, yeah, we can argue about, per, you know, percentages and how much should go where. And, 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 and there's no doubt that, that the NCAA is, is, in many ways, not my favorite organization. And in many ways, the system is abused and screwed up. Hmm. That's all true. But it's a great system. And I can tell you right now, because I, I covered education, too, that people in higher ed in Europe and Asia are jealous as hell of our system of college athletics. Jealous as hell. Oxford and Cambridge and Heidelberg, they're jealous of us because we have a system that operates, that allows alumni to maintain engagement with their university emotionally and with their checkbooks. They don't have that over there. They have club sports. I mean, the the, the Oxford-Cambridge, you know, uh, crew race is the big sporting event. They, They don't have athletic teams the way we do here. They have clubs. If you're a great soccer player, you know, you grow up in the playing for Liverpool you, you're, or Chelsea, you, you come up through, you're not playing for Oxford. You don't play for college. Right. And so, so that's the difference. And, and everybody who wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, does the system need to be changed? Does it need to be reformed and all of that? Yes, 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 yes. But don't throw the system out because it's awesome and it helps young people and it helps communities. It's great. And, and, and it, as I said, it's, it's almost an affirmative. I've, I've seen people, critics of the system, compare it to slavery. And boy, does that piss me off. I mean, it's like that, 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 that cheapens the actual horrible historic reality of slavery, number one, and the people who had to suffer that. And number two, it's just wildly unfair and inaccurate to say that. Well, of those 10,000 athletes that you mentioned before, how many of them go on to some professional... Sport and make five percent. Yeah, so you're talking about like all these other thousands and thousands and thousands of people that now have a that get degrees career potential. That's correct. And 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 why some people choose to overlook that in the rhetoric. And and once again, I understand it's easy to get mad at the NCAA. 
it's easy to make, get mad at the fact that coaches make millions upon millions of dollars and they can leave whenever they want to. But if a kid tries to transfer, the kid has to wait a year. Coach can leave, but the kid can't. You know, I understand why people get upset about that or it seems unfair. I, I understand why they get pissed off when or why, why it seems uh, an injustice to them when the coaches in the universities, you know, pull in millions of dollars and the athletes seem to get a pittance. Mm. You know, they get this, this little stipend. I understand that. But they, that's why I said what I said earlier. Understand the value of the scholarship. And not only that, understand the value of the degree once it's granted and once that young person has that, how that enhances their earning potential for the rest of their life. And so, so I don't consider it an exploitative system. I consider it a flawed system. But to, I absolutely don't want to get rid of it. I don't want to go to paying mercenaries and having like cheap, bad minor league yeah, sports. Turn it into NBA. Yeah, turn it, turn it like to the... the not, well, you yeah. can do that for the G League, right? Well, it's like, like the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, you know, the NBA developmental team. You know, it's got they've got their own fans, and they, you know, it's like Shehi, uh, uh, one of our players, played you know for them not too long ago. So they get their own little following and that kind of stuff. But they have no history, they have no foundational loyalty in terms of fan base in the state or anything like that. So you want to turn Purdue and Indiana into the Fort Wayne Mad Ants? No. You know, you want it to be what it is. You, you don't want to change this to the point where everybody becomes a poorly paid pro and then you have minor leagues, except it's even below minor leagues because that's what we would have. And, I, and once again, I mean, it's like uh, people who think the grass is always greener and we could just change it all and we'll come up with a new system that's better and it's like, well, good luck with that. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm... And there are a lot of people in, in the media who are smarter than I am. Jay Billis is a huge critic of NCAA, and I think he would torpedo the entire system if he could. And he's a Duke grad, and he's a lawyer, and he's smarter than I am, but I think he's wrong. And I, and I love him. I think he's a great commentator, and he's somebody with whom I would agree in, in just you know, a ton of other topics. But I'm tired of it. That's one of the reasons I'm, I'm speaking so passionately about this, is that I'm spitting in the wind. The The, the vast majority of people in the media are pushing this thing about how exploited the athletes are and it's slavery. I mean, that was in the Atlantic. There, there was an article published in the Atlantic that called it slavery. I'm tired of that crap. Uh, it's not only wrong, it's insulting. You know? So. Well, it, it could be considered inciting, too. Yeah, that too. It's incited me. Mm-hmm. And once again, when you talk about that topic, I mean, I have to walk on eggshells. I'm a white guy. All right? You know, and I, I don't I don't pretend to be privy to the black experience in America. I understand it as a historian, though, and it horrifies me. And frankly, I don't know why black people haven't been out in the streets burning everything down for decades, frankly, to be, to, to be perfectly honest with you, because white privilege is a real thing, and we all are sitting here as privileged white guys, in my and, opinion. And this is where we again tiptoe past the <laughs> We're going to move on. In fact, this is probably a good time for our new segment called Intermission for Drink Refills. Ooh, that's <sighs> my favorite. favorite. Well, I think one of the things as a Purdue person is that the fact that that game is the last one that's of the awesome. season. I love it. 
and almost always it's it's almost a, it's almost a given that that game has bowl implications on it because both teams seem to always have like five wins. Lately, that's definitely been the case. And it was really, you know, once again, it was another good game. Purdue was the deserving victor. Indiana played fairly well. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a good game. It was better than I thought the previous year's game. But uh, I, I'll tell you one thing I was really I was really grateful for. I was really glad that Tyler Trent was here. Uh, he, he was a, a Purdue fan who's got terminal cancer incredibly courageous and cheerful kid in terms of dealing with that in public. And uh, I'm sure it has to be so incredibly difficult in private. But uh, he's been an inspiration to everybody. Uh, he, he was on national TV and obviously a primary inspiration when uh, uh, Ohio State Ohio just State wiped, the, wiped the field with, you know, when, when, when Purdue wiped the field with Ohio State, just destroyed him. And that was the, kind of the Tyler Trent game. Hmm. But, but I was happy he was here in Bloomington. Uh, IU helped work it out so that he came down and, and was able to be here for the bucket game and watch the bucket game. And I love the bucket game. I, you know, my parents went to 47 straight bucket games together, and it's part of my family. And I think if you grew up in this state, a lot of people are more basketball fans than football or whatever. But if you follow college football in this state, it's great. I mean, the, the Monon Bell game is great. They're, 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 <laughs> they're, they're, Notre Dame football is great. There are a lot of great football-related things in Indiana. But the bucket game is really dear to my heart in terms of, you know, it's the two primary in-state rivals, the two Big Ten teams. And, uh, you know, Purdue's dominated the series, and Indiana's done better, a little bit better lately. It's fun, and... and mm. uh, it's a good rivalry. I think it's a good, good and, rivalry. And when there's some type of thing riding on it, because yeah. you usually, you know, just a rivalry game is a is a draw in itself. Right. But this year, both teams were five and six. So like, yeah. whoever wins, whoever wins that's one going to a bowl game, and maybe not the best bowl game, but hey, you know, they get to go somewhere else, get some swag for everybody for the team. Well, but that brings in money for the university. It brings in money for the Big Ten, but it brings in money for the university, well, too. A lot of bowl games, frankly, are, are are financial losing propositions, to be honest with you. You have to sell a certain number of tickets, and if the bowl game is in California, you might not have, you know, I'd not sell enough tickets. And, but, but even if it's short-term, is a monetary loss long term. It's it's a monetary gain because you people you know if, if Jeff Brom's trying to build his program in Indiana, and Tom Allen's trying or I'm sorry Purdue and Tom Allen's trying to build his program in Indiana, the, the getting to bowl games is important. It's part of growing your program and enticing recruits, it's the and getting, shine, getting better every year and all that kind of stuff. So it matters. It, it gives you three extra weeks of practice. To help develop your young players and help you de- to develop your depth, it's like an extra spring practice if you're bowl eligible. So it matters. There are a lot of reasons why it matters. Uh, so yeah, and, and it's, so it's especially fun, as you say, when the bucket game has that on the line too, uh, beyond just the usual pride and puffing out of chest and feeding the opposition deserved grief over the off season when you win that kind of stuff. So it's it, they're the normal rivalry things. You know, there's there's nothing more fun than heaping derision upon your rival after you beat them. You know, for months on end, which is what fans do. But 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 there's also, as he says, I mean, both both programs are trying to build right now. Purdue really has the momentum right now. But uh, before the last two years, Indiana had won four in a row yeah. in terms of the bucket game. So so it's been it's been fun to watch, and uh, I think both programs are in good hands. To be honest with you, I'm a Tom Allen fan. I don't mind saying that. 
Um, and as I said, I, 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 I know a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. Indiana needs to win some football games, you know, and they need to beat some people. But this staff can recruit, I can tell you that. And, and so I think another good recruiting class is shaping up. And eventually, if you stack enough good recruiting classes, then you do start beating people. Yeah, you'll get some overlap and so that's correct. No, you have some competition for playing time and all of that. Mm. You know, so now this this may be a, maybe I looked at the wrong information. Is it weird? Is it normal? Is it or maybe we just have good assistant football coaches? But is it weird that they're making the same as my, as the head coach? Well, yeah, I mean, it is a little bit now up at Purdue. I mean, because Jeff Brom was courted by his alma mater, Louisville, he's going to be, be paid $6 million a year now. Yeah. He's so, so that's different. In, Indi- in Indiana, it's, it was a different kind of transition. When they decided to let Kevin Wilson go, they elevated the defensive coordinator, Tom Allen, to the head coaching job. So it wasn't as if you're bringing in a, a head coach who's been a head coach for years. So that's a different kind of market rate. You, mm. you, you're just... Elevating him from his his defensive coordinator salary, you're bumping that, but you're not going to be playing paying him. You know what a uh, uh, a head coach who's won a national title has been a head coach for 20 years kind of guy is going to get paid. So it's whatever the market demands. And uh, I don't think I mean some people look at Indiana's coaching salaries and think that Indiana is being cheap or Indiana's trying to get by on the cheap. And that's not true at all. Uh, I, I haven't been around anybody in football that I know about connected with the program who's been turned down for something that costs money. You know, I, I talked to Dr. Tom Ray, who's the speed yeah. specialist now, and he's said, nobody's ever said no to me. You know, I, they've given me all the equipment and all the help and support that I need to do my job. And so, you know, Indiana hired guys and they hired them at a certain level and the guys were willing to take that salary. Yes, it's one of the lowest salary groups in the Big Ten, but it isn't because Indiana doesn't want to be good at football. It's It's more that we are looking at a snapshot that uh, (laughs) without any sort of an outside frame. Exactly. And like if if he went 10 and 2 this year, that would probably change his salary. Pretty quickly. Oh, it totally would. I mean, you know, they would give him a big raise and they would want to retain him. They would give him an extension to his contract. So, yeah, I mean, you, you get paid whatever the market calls for you to get paid, basically. I mean, you know, the football coaches or the basketball coach makes a ton more than the president of the university does. That's just market forces at work, you know, mm. as much as anything. You know, it doesn't make it right. It's not saying that I'm not saying that I endorse that. I am saying that, you know, it's what the going rate is, mm. you know, if you, if you want to compete at a certain level. And, but I'm, I, what I am saying is I don't think Indiana's – Football coaching salary level is indicative of them trying to be cheap. I don't think that's true. So yeah, I was just we were talking about it, and I, it was something I was reading for a different subject actually. But um, yeah, I was just like, well, what, well, now we're talking about it. So uh, so back to something we were discussing before: um, is Romeo good? Romeo is really good. <laughs> Romeo is also a really good kid. Uh, you know, people who know him well, I'm not one of them. I've, I've just talked to him a little bit, you know, obviously just in, in the capacity, professional capacity. But uh, great kid, you know. Uh, favorite class is finite math, so that should tell you something. Uh, Seems like a rarity. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. a smart kid, and he's a teen guy. 
and he handles pressure sublimely. He, he, he's done it his whole life. He grew up handling pressure, having to carry New Albany to the state title. And, to the, and, 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 and you know, they had other really good players, but, I mean, he was the dude. He was the guy that got all the hype and had to shoulder all the pressure at a very young age. He did it with consummate class. So he's really he's a really good person, I think. So that's number one. You know, he's a really good player. Now, the question, I think, behind the question that mm-hmm. you asked is, well, is he good enough to, to go to the NBA right away? Because he's a one-and-done kind of kid. He's one of those kids that enters college and people fully expect him to play one year and then go to the NBA. What people don't always understand when they look at that kind of situation is that the NBA always drafts on potential. Always. They don't draft you when you're 18 years old or 19 years old. They don't draft you because of your current capacity or your current level of play. They draft on potential. And they, they, they don't always guess right, but, but that's what they draft on. They draft on potential because they feel they can develop you. They would rather have you in their developmental system than have you in college. Now, I personally somewhat disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with it is that I want to see how Romeo responds to pressure. If I'm an NBA scout, you know, okay, the game's on the line. What do you do? And there's 70,000 people screaming. Well, you're not going to get that in the G League, mm. okay? You know, you're not going to get that at AAU ball. I get 70 you know, people screaming. Right. <laughs> but in major college, part of the way that I want to evaluate players is that do they shrink from that kind of pressure, or do they thrive on that kind of pressure? I want to know that about them, too. And you're not going to necessarily know that watching them in the G League. So, so, but having said that, you know, I'm, I'm a college fan, so that's part of the reason I say that, but I, I really believe that to be true. But a guy like Romeo is going to go to the NBA probably after one year because he's going to be drafted at a point where it's going to be, he's not going to be able to better his draft position from a financial point of view, it makes all the sense in the world just to go. And, and once again, I, I, from, from a, from, do I think he could benefit from another year in college? I absolutely do. I, I, I both, both, both personally and, 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 and in terms of professional potential, I do. I think it would be very helpful to him in many ways. He needs to put on some, some LBs, you know. Well, uh, among other things, yes. And, and he needs to improve his handle. He needs to improve his outside shooting. There's all kinds of stuff you can look at and say, you know, to, to, to be, uh, you know, at the apogee of his potential, he needs to develop certain areas of his game. And I think he'd be the first to say that, too. But if the NBA is going to pay you X amount of millions of dollars, why not, why, why not get that extra year of that? Millions of dollars. Yeah, that's, right? that's exactly right. I mean, especially if you're going to be drafted in, the, you know, if you're a lottery pick, if you're going to be drafted in the top ten or top five, it's like there's no reason for you to stay in school. Other than, and once again, I mean, we talked about the athletic bill of rights earlier. You, you can, can always come, come back, back and finish your degree. Isaiah Thomas only played two years in Indiana, and he came back and made Mary Thomas's mom happy by finishing his degree. Cody Zeller only played here two years. He's now finished his degree. Victor Oladipo played three, so he had less to do, but he has now finished his degree. So you can always come back and finish. You can take summer courses and whatnot and, and do that. So so that's good. I mean, I, I think I, I think Romeo, you know, if I understand anything about his mom, <laughs> they, they will want him to finish his degree. 
at some point. And it's a lot easier to do that if you stay two years instead of one. What but, about from a psychological, sociological point of view? You talked a little bit about how do you react to pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's inside the game. How do you react to the nature of what it means to be a professional athlete and how that might affect you, do you well, think? At that, 19. Yeah. You, you start learning that a little bit while you're in college, to be honest with you, at the big programs. You know, playing Indiana basketball is a job, pretty much. I mean, it, it's you go to school, but, you know, like a lot of kids work their way through school. You know, they, they go work at Mother Bears or whatever, you know, and they, they, they help pay for their for their education, that's what these folks are doing too. Mm. They're 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 doing a job that requires a heck of a lot of sacrifice in terms of time and energy and everything else and attention, uh, of, apart from their schoolwork, and that's how they're paying for school. That's how they're doing it. Okay, so it's like a job, and so you learn responsibilities and how to manage your time, and, and so it isn't just on court stuff. It's like you know, okay, how can you be a successful NBA player? We have to know to maintain focus over a long period of time. How to how to how to handle how to orchestrate your time so that you're effective with it and you're not wasting time, you know. And so you learn that while you're here too. And so it isn't just the on court stuff. You learn how to how to how to how to come early to meetings, not on time. Come early. You know. You, you learn that those who come before practice and get shots up, and guys who stay after practice on their own and work out progress more than their peers do. You learn that stuff while you're here, too. It isn't just the -the on-the-court stuff. So that's part of the deal. And, yeah, I mean, I think kids benefit from that largely. But a guy like, you know, a guy like, look, look, Cody Zeller, from from a developmental point of view, in my opinion, probably would have benefited from another year in Bloomington. Victor Oladipo definitely did. That third year that Victor stayed... And his game just really came together, and he was like an all-American caliber guy. So that when he entered the NBA, yeah, he entered a year later, or maybe two years later, than some of the guys in his high school class did. But by God, he was ready. He was ready to shine. I mean, he was. He got a little lost in Oklahoma City. He but. did, but but he was originally down in uh, down in Florida, down at uh, uh, Orlando, and he was I think he was one of the guys who got votes for Rookie of the Year. I mean, you know, he was ready to go. And, at, yeah, Orlando at, at OK, OK City, he's playing kind of second fiddle. But but he was he was ready. He was ready to be an NBA player by the time he left here. Hmm. Romeo's not going to be in a, in a full sense. But that's OK. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of they will develop him within their organizations. And so his development will continue. And he's a he's a, a a tremendously special talent. He is. I mean, he he's one of those rare guys. He's a generational player. He's one of those guys that comes along every generation. And you go, yeah, he's one of those guys. And uh, you know, he finished third all time in Indiana career prep scoring, and and uh, you know, just a just a fantastic player. Um, and he has a gift for. Things that are going to, I think, hold him in good stead at the next level. He he can make himself skinny in the lane or going baseline and get to the rim <laughs> when you just don't think it's even possible. We we had a guy a long time ago named Mike Woodson who could do that. Mike, Woody could go baseline, and you're thinking, 
oh, he's going to get cut off. He's going to charge into somebody. He's never going to make it. And the next thing you know, he's like finger rolling it into the rim. Like, how did he get there? Romeo's like that. Hmm. There's a special talent there. There's a special talent level that he has. Uh, and he's a winner. He's a team guy. He's a winner. And he's, he's, he's uber talented in certain ways. Now, as I said, are there elements of his game that need to develop? Yes. True. So, so what did it take? Uh, what did it take for him to come to IU? Like, why? From a re- was it a recruiting thing? Was it because he's a good kid? He can stay close to home, or yeah, like there's a lot of things that went into it. I mean, and I, I couldn't say I followed that recruitment fairly closely from from a, from a you know from from the outside. I mean, I, I wasn't once again I wasn't privy to everything that was going on, on the inside. But I talked to people who kind of were. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things that went into it. I mean, he grew up, you know, he, he was a Duke fan, I think, when he was a kid. And he, uh, he was very enamored of Louisville, which was right across the river. Uh, they weren't really, I don't think they were all that interested in IU when Coach Crean was here. But when Indiana made the coaching change, they said, well, we should take another look at them and see what we think of the new coach. So I think there was that. Louisville, uh, simultaneously, uh, had... Uh, a couple of really scandal-ridden years where you had, you know, accusations of, of, of uh, you know, pay, pay, pay for sex in the athletic dorm. And eventually there was, once again, these accusations about paying players and stuff. So, you know, Pitino, Rick Pitino is a Hall of Fame coach, lost his job. And so Virginia, so, so Louisville was in flux. And... Romeo, I did. I do think, both in terms of his personal inclination and that of his family, did want to stay kind of close to home. So he was, I think, he and his father and Tim were intrigued by Archie Miller and by the new staff and what they heard and kind of what they saw in terms of approach to play and you know philosophically, you know what the approach to basketball at Indiana was going to be. And so there are a lot of things that go into it, and I'm, I'm leaving a whole bunch out. But it basically, the timing was right. Indiana brought in a new coach and a new staff that the Langfords were enamored of. Uh, Louisville was in disarray. Uh, some of the other places, for whatever reason, wasn't going to work out either. And it wasn't that Indiana won Romeo's commitment by default, but it was that Indiana came on strongly when they had the opportunity to do so. And so it ended up being IU, and I think Romeo's, and once again, I, it's not like I talk to him privately, but just, just in terms of what I see and what I hear him say and what I hear other people say about him, he's really happy here. He loves it here. He, he, he loves the fans. He's into it. The, the level of play is what he had hoped it would be. The talent level is what he hoped it would be. The support is what he hoped it would be. And he's under less pressure now, believe it or not. He feels less pressure now than he did when he was at New Albany, where he was like the be-all, end-all uber dude that everybody looked to and had to carry the whole thing. Well, now he's got Juwan Morgan, and he's got Rob Finsey and Justin Smith and other guys who are really good players. And and he's playing, you know, his friends from New Albany can come see him, his family can come see him. Uh, And one thing that's been interesting, he said... And I'm going to have to paraphrase this because I, I can't remember exactly how he put it. But he said, you know, people have been respectful on campus. They haven't accosted me. They haven't constantly bugged me. 
they would you know come up to class to 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 regale me with their own basketball stories or to ask me about my basketball stuff. They've just left me alone, basically. I'm just a, a student here. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the social aspect of it. I think, as I said, I think he's a you know intellectually sharp kid. I think he probably enjoys that element of it too. So I think he's having a good time. I mean. Look, I, I think he and his family, I think the plan all along has been to be one and done and to go pro. And that's fully what I expect him to do. But do I think he's enjoying his time in Bloomington? Yes, I do. I think he likes it a lot. So would, it, would I be completely shocked, like falling over backwards, if he decided to play another year? No, I've seen it happen before. And Michigan State had a great kid, um, I'm going to forget his name now, uh, just a couple of years ago, who everybody thought would be a one and done, go pro, freshman All-American type of guy. And he decided, they, they, they made a nice run in the tournament and came up short. And he said, I want to play another year and see if we can go get the national title. You know, maybe Romeo will decide that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and once again, I mean, whatever the plan was or the attitude was in August might be different by the time it's April. Hmm. So who knows? But, but, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, is he ready to go? Yes, he is because of where he's going to be drafted. Mm. And we're not just talking lottery pick. We're talking top 10, top five. So so that's guaranteed money. That's like you don't have to wait till your second contract to really make the big money. Yeah. It's like guaranteed money up front. If, if you're in the lottery in the NBA, you're, you're going to make some money. Right. If you're in the second round in the NBA, your odds are really against you right. sticking around and making money. But see, Victor, Victor Oladipo helped himself. He, he would have been either undrafted or a second-round guy or whatever – his sophomore year. By the time he was a junior, he was the second pick of the draft. You know, he's top. He and Cody both went in the top four. So they went at the right time. That, mm. That's what you want to do. Well, he had the good, probably had the right people around him that yeah. could, could kind of tell him yeah. what his. Yeah, I, I think Coach Cream was really good at advising that. And a lot of the people around him were really good at soliciting advice. You know, and, and it's great now that the NBA allows players to test the waters, to get feedback from NBA people. To go to NBA workouts and participate in that. And then there's a certain deadline that they have to decide, but then they have the option to come back to school. So a guy like Juwan Morgan, let's say, you know, the outstanding senior frontliner on Indiana's team right now, when maybe not fully NBA ready in the eyes of NBA scouts or whatever, but he can go work out for them, get feedback from them. What do I really need to work on? Because I want to I really want to make the NBA. So what do I need to do? They tell him. And then he's able to go back to IU and work on it, you know. So, so it's good. I mean, it, it, that that that's a good thing. I mean, I I I think that once again, I mean, there are changes I would make, but that change allowing kids to participate in the workouts and then still go back to school. That, that's a it, recent it, change. It's a right? recent change, yeah. and so that's good. That's a good thing, you know, because it's good for the kids. I mean, that's what you want. You know, you want you want to do right by by them and to help them you know, make the best out of their life and out of their potential, out of their athletic life. And so that rule changed by the NBA was a good thing. So. Now, doesn't – so IU's got a, a sports, like, management, sports marketing field now, right? Yeah. Like yeah. One of the few One of the few schools in the country that has something like that. Is that at all a draw for an athlete to come? Could not be. not necessarily to even take that course, but just the fact that that atmosphere is around, that knowledge base is around. Yeah, I, there is. I mean, uh, you know, uh, some kids are doing that. I mean, some kids are, are uh, 
you know, either majoring in that kind of management out of Kelly or like, you know, some of them are like uh, Luke Timian, one of the wide receivers, was an intern for the uh, athletic department this year. You know, was learning it from the inside, for example. So, yeah, I do think that. But but I think that uh, there's all kinds of stuff that I, I think Indiana can make a really good pitch to people now, frankly, from, from a recruiting point of view in terms of athletics. I mean, think about this. You know, I, I mentioned the Athletic Bill of Rights, and, and that's a really cool thing. Not everybody has that. Hmm. Indiana also has completed what they call, uh, what Fred Glass likes to call the circle of excellence. So, like, say, like, you're, you're Luke Timian, you're a, you're a senior football player. You can live close to the stadium, and every need you have to have met is available to you at Memorial Stadium. It, it, it's all there. Your, your locker room, your weight room, your training room, your training table where you get meals, your academic counseling, everything is there in one location. It's one-stop shopping. You know, you, you get to go and have every need met. Your tutors, your your counselors, everybody's there. Your assistant coaches, your, your meeting rooms, everything is there. And so Indiana, for example, shares its weight room. It's got this massive weight room in the north end zone. It doesn't uh, sequester its football team away from everybody else with a football-only facility. It purposefully, from a philosophical point of view, has everybody together. They eat together, the, the training table's all together. And the, the athletes that I spoke to, Fred Glass said this, every single football player he talked to for exit interviews this year that was like graduating from the program loved that, that they could hang around and socialize with, uh, you know, the volleyball team or whatever. So, so they, they can make, and if I'm a parent of a potential recruit, you know, I don't want to have my football playing son cloistered like a monk in some sort of football only facility or like the basketball only facility down in Kentucky or whatever. It's like, no, I want them being a student and being around other students. I mean, that, that's part of a liberal arts education is, is you know, sitting out at in, in, in 2 a.m. at the dorm and talking metaphysics with your roommate, you know, or somebody else you didn't know is from someplace else. Could tell you some things you didn't really think about before. That's part of your education. And so I think Indiana does a really good job not only serving the student-athlete properly now, but also offering programs that I think are very attractive to a lot of student-athletes. They've started a, 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 a computer engineering program, Purdue's the engineering school. Well, Indiana started that. Indiana's got the Cuban Center, which is extremely cutting-edge for visual augmentation of sports marketing yeah. you know I mean, Mark Cuban gave five million dollars it's right there in assembly hall and kids can come and, I, and those kids the kids that go through the Cuban Center uh, they don't have to have a resume <laughs> they, they get hired like that coming out of school so yeah there's a lot of stuff like that I'm sure Purdue has the same I mean, Purdue's got a new 60 million dollar football only complex that I guess is just freaking awesome I haven't been there but I've heard rave reviews about it so you know once again yeah, you know, people can complain about universities spending money on athletics and whatnot, and it's an arms race and in terms of facilities, and that's all true. But it's for a lot of this stuff's great for the students. It's great for the student athletes too. 
Well, I'm glad you explained the Cuban thing because when you said it initially, <laughs> I had two visuals in my head. One was of a sandwich and one was of a cigar. Yeah. And neither quite made sense. Now, I'm talking about Mark Cuban. Yes, yes. I'm yes. With, I, it took a second, but I, I caught up. And Mark, Mark is not a bricks and mortar guy. He didn't want to have some building named after him or something like that. He wanted something that he thought was guaranteed to help the professional development of those students. He told Fred Glass, he said, I want, I want to contribute to some sort of program that produces kids I want to hire. That's what I want to do. I don't want to build some freaking building. And so Fred came to him with the idea about the, the Cuban Center and pitched it. And, and Fred said, I didn't even get like more than a sentence out of my mouth. And he said, I'm down with that. Wrote the check. Was that money? Yep, yep, here you go. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if a lot of people know that Mark Cuban went to Indiana University. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Big sports fan, too. I mean, obviously, he owns the Mavericks and whatnot, but, I mean, he, he's, uh, he's a big, 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 big IU fan. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, he's exactly the kind of potential donor that you want to try to cultivate if you're the athletic department. Or, if or you're the a, IU Foundation. Or a small podcast. Yeah, that, that's that, true. You he, know. Hey, he'd be great. <laughs> he'd be a better, a better guest than your current guest. <laughs> All guests are wonderful. <laughs> that's what we got to say. Hey, we're just, we're here in Bloomington. And it's like, hey, that's the end right there. We got it. <laughs> but but to, to answer your original question, Romeo's good. Romeo's, Romeo's really good. Here, here's why Romeo's good. Here, here's another reason why Romeo's good. All right. So, so Romeo is like right about 70%, I think, on his free throw shooting. This year. not great. And, and his history as a free throw shooter isn't great either. I mean, I, I don't know what his high school percentage was. It was higher than that. Um, and, he had, and he had just missed, he had missed two free throws earlier that were important. I mean, you know, there wasn't much time left and the game was tied or he was down one or something like that. And he missed two in a row. <laughs> Well, right after that, he made a steal and went down and left. So he made up for it right away, number one. And number two, when it came right down to, like, you know, crunch time, not cutting time, when he went to the line, I didn't even worry about it because I knew he wouldn't be worried about it. You know, he, he's not, he's not, he might miss, but it isn't because he's nervous. It's not because the moment's too big for him. Now he's going to go up there and probably hit him because he's going to win the game for his team. That's what he does. That's what I'm saying. I mean, when I was saying guys like him and Fennessy and Juwan Morgan, those are winning players because they're about winning. That's what they do. That's what they're used to doing. That's their intent. They don't give a, They don't care about numbers or shooting percentages or scoring averages or any of that crap. They want to just win the freaking game, and that's what you want. And so Romeo's. If you ask me, is Romeo's good? Yes, he is, and that's one of the reasons he's good. Side question. Why is a free throw so hard to hit? <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a malady. It's, a, it's symptomatic of the modern game. The three-point shot, as we discussed earlier, has become such a dominant factor in modern basketball that everybody practices those. Everybody shoots them. And they're very important. I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the dom- dominating elements of modern basketball. But somehow along the lines, the, the importance of free throws, and, and look, it drives coaches crazy. It drives players crazy. It's not like they want to go up there and miss, but there's something about it. I mean, it used to be, I mean, this is going to sound horrible. Okay, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who was not a good basketball player, okay? I did play varsity basketball from my high school, but I wasn't very good. I started a little bit as a sophomore. As a senior, I was a bench warmer because other guys were better than I was, all right? 
still the weekend of the sectional, my senior year at the Carmel High School gym, I hit 55 straight free throws in practice. I wasn't very good. But that wasn't all that unusual back then. Mm. There were guys, and once you got your free throw stroke down, you could be pretty much a, 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 an automaton. I mean, Steve Steve Alford had his famous socks, shorts, shoot kind of thing where he had his own routine, and it was just like clockwork. It was like watching a mechanism. It was like, toosh, 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 you know. And, 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 th- and we've lost that. Somehow we've lost the ability to build that in our young players. And I think part of it is that they spend so much of the time in AAU ball and stuff like that where it's not the fundamentals are not taught in my view, the way they once were. We, we just got it drilled into us. I mean, and nowadays, that doesn't necessarily happen. Kids get by on talent a lot, you know, in terms of AAU ball. And, and look, there's some very good AAU coaches. There's some great AAU programs here in this state, you know. I mean, I can't even talk about recruits. I can't officially do that. But I can, I can watch guys who have come up through various AAU programs like Indiana Elite, which is Bloomington-based. And they get really good coaching. So so it, I, I'm not trying to brand AAU all that way, but I am saying that it isn't quite like it was before when the only place you played was at your school and you were you were under the auspices and the, the mentoring of your high school coaches and fundamentals were the key. And talent... Talent wasn't so much it. It was it was developing fundamentally. And so we've lost some of that. American basketball's lost some of that. But one of the reasons why you see so many, you know, Europeans in the NBA now is because over there fundamentals are emphasized, I think, a little bit more. You see better pure shooting from a lot of the European guys than than you do from the American guys. And I think that's and I think free throw shooting is part of that issue. It's part of that. It's a it's an ancillary result of lack of fundamental teaching early on and, and, and repetitively. I mean, you, you have to just repeat it ad nauseum to the point where the muscle memory is such that it's just tush, tush, tush. You're just switching every shot or virtually every shot, and you're hitting 9 out of 10, and you can do it with your eyes closed. I remember hearing Jordan talking about that quite a few times, just just taking those same shots over and over. Yeah, and over it's and just over a matter. I don't know if this is true because Juwan himself said it wasn't true, but but some somebody had said that Juwan Morgan had taken a thousand shots a day since May that's in the offseason to improve his shooting because that's one of the reasons. That's one of the things I think the NBA folks told him. It's like at six seven, you have to be able to hit shots, hit, hit perimeter shots to play in this league. So he worked on. It. You know, so it's just a matter of emphasis. Like, you know, and so Juwan's perimeter shooting has improved, but his free throw shooting has. And, and, and to be honest with you, I know Indiana works like crazy on free throws, like every practice. And I know, I know it's driving Archie and the rest of the staff nuts because he basically said that on his radio show this week. So it's, it's kind of one of those insoluble problems. And I think it's contagious both ways. It's kind of like hitting in baseball. Hitting's a, hitting in baseball is a really difficult thing to do. But when somebody gets hot, all of a sudden the entire team gets hot. Everybody just falls. And then you have a big inning. And, and then, whole, you know, then there's other games. Nobody can hit. And, it, and that's contagious too. And everybody you know, is like a collective team slump for like an entire series or something. Hmm. But, but free throw shooting is a little bit like that. If, if somebody's hitting and if, if a couple of guys are really just hitting every shot – 
that that's contagious. Everybody kind of follows suit. And then if people are missing, it's the same deal. If you start clanking free throws, it tends to permeate the entire team for a while, you know. So so mechanical. Yeah, it is. There was a guy named Virgil Sweet. He was a former coach at Valparaiso who ran a clinic that, that, that emphasized, among other things, free throw shooting. And his Valparaiso high school teams shot like 90% every year. So it can be taught and it can be emphasized. And, and, and it's just that a lot of the kids coming out of high school and AU programs, once they get to the college level now, that hasn't been emphasized enough, in my opinion. Hmm. Hmm. So they're not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. And they're better at three-point shooting because that's been emphasized. So Very good. <laughs> well... It has yeah. been very educational. I think we could probably continue to talk, and I think that we should do so at another uh, juncture. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's it's a fascinating insight into into uh, something that I don't personally have a whole lot of uh, experience with or having having. What about you, Richard? You you definitely follow this a lot more than I do. Yeah. So one of the things with watching. TV slash sports is ESPN just tends to be on, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm even working on homework or I'm watching, I'll watch videos on my phone, but what's on in the background? Mm -hmm. ESPN. So like I will always, if it's something annoying, I'll get away from it. But like uh, a sports center, even at two o'clock in the morning keeps me up to date on what's going on with certain types of activities, right? You can always check in on the, the Big Ten Network to, to watch certain things that are happening as well. So I just tend to pay attention to it. I don't look at very many websites every day. I look at some news and I look at some sports, and that's really about it. So I try to just pay attention to that stuff well, well, in a background here, type of sense. Here's something, you know, Kenya, thanks for humoring us all for, for these two hours, two plus hours. Hey, it's but, interesting. But, but here's the thing, and it, 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 let, let me try and put it in a way that um, might might resonate maybe with you and, or other people who don't follow sports. Like, it, it seems like an awfully silly thing to do, frankly, to, 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 to waste much time and energy following something like it's just a game it's games played by people why why would that seem important to anybody and and, and i can understand that it, 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 it but there's a reason there are reasons i can remember asking a guy who ran a uh, horror film festival here in bloomington and, and i'm not a horror film fan and in fact you know i couldn't imagine spending money to be scared or disgusted or or grossed out you know, it's like, what, why would I do that? I, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. And he explained it to me. He said, well, he said, you know, for me, he said, the reason I like it is because I know it's just a movie, number one. And number two, I can immerse myself in a world that's far worse than reality. Even if my reality sucks, I can go watch a movie and, boy, it's not <laughs> this bad. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to walk out with all my limbs and and, and, and and you walk back outside and the real world doesn't seem so scary or intimidating anymore and you actually feel okay because you're better off than what you, what happened to those folks in there. And that made sense to me. I mean, I mean, so let me try and, you know, kind of say this about athletics. From, from Why why do we follow that? Why, why are we passionate about it? Why do we get into it the way we do? And I think it's because 
it is a it is a uh, it is an alternate reality that 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 resonates with our own realities in this way. Every game is like a little morality play. There, there are good guys and bad guys. There are plot twists. There's drama. There's often comedy. We we don't know the the, the how the plot's going to go. It's like reading a mystery novel. You know, it's like we don't know what the answer really is. We can guess. We we can you know think we can have theories about how things are going to go. But then we have to watch it all unfold and see what 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 actually happens. And so we can we can vicariously put ourselves into that alternate world where there are good guys and bad guys and plot lines and drama and live it and understand when it's done that we can adjourn and come back to the real world and things that matter more. And I do think it's like that. We all yeah. need we all need uh, our our things in life that take us out of our everyday reality, which can sometimes be, you know, sad or draining or difficult, and, 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 and spend some time in a place that resembles reality and has the same kind of parameters in a way, but in, 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 in fact isn't reality in a sense of our own lives. It's, it's a different kind of thing. And so we can enjoy, we can laugh, and we can cheer, and we can sob and we can get angry at the referees and we, we can experience all these emotions vicariously and I think psychologically it can be very healthy to have that kind of outlet so I'm, I'm just throwing that, that out yeah, well, yeah absolutely uh, Captain Cisco said the exact same thing in Deep Space Nine I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> behind sometimes you. things just click so like when you have your the collection of the comic books you you know the characters. Mm-hmm. You know their affiliation. You know their powers. You know their background. Right. Yep. So in in the nineties, baseball was way I feel like way bigger than what it is right now. It was a national thing. It's kind of regionalized now to an extent. I kind of feel like. But in baseball, I just I just remember this. It was on like vacation in Florida. My parents bought me the the. Collection of baseball cards, like the entire league's worth of baseball cards. Yeah, you know, the, like the, the full set. top set, the of set baseball cards, right? And they could play the game where they could pull it out and they're like, "Well, who's this guy?" Like, "Oh, well, he plays on this team and he mm-hmm. plays second base." Mm-hmm. Like, how did I know that? And like, if someone asked me to do something two minutes ago, like, "Well, what did what did you ask? What did you ask <laughs> me to do?" Like, it's just something that just stuck. And it's the same thing, right? Yeah. It's 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 a character who has an affiliation, who has these types of powers, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and, and also, sports is one of the, the rare things, one of the very few things in our lives that is so readily uh, relatable mm-hmm. to so many people that, that when the local team wins the big game, it's, it's communal joy. It's like the last time Indiana won a national title back in 87, you know, people congregated at, at Showalter Fountain and just hugged total strangers and kissed total strangers and are dancing on top of cars and, and everybody is thrilled and it's a communal thing. And there aren't very many things in our, in our lives that, that can do that and just cut across, cut through all strata of society, bring people from all walks of life together. Last time I was here, I told you the story, and I won't repeat the whole thing, but I've seen linesmen from Indiana Bell and lawyers in the bar where I was standing bar 
start talking about Indiana basketball, one of the few topics that they could share an interest in. And the next thing I know, they're buying each other drinks and their tables emerge and they enjoy each other's company for the next three hours when, when otherwise they would have very little to relate with each other. Absolutely. But, but sports is one of those areas that, that, is, that, is, that, that cuts through all of that and, and people are able to experience it with their friends, with their families, with the people they don't even know. You know, when, when Christian Watford hit the shot in Assembly Hall to beat Kentucky, famously seven, almost seven years ago to the day, almost, uh, my son Evan was in, was in the stands with my brother Rob, and, and I, I talked to him after, the, after it was all over. I said, what was that like? He said, Dad, it was so wonderful. He said, I was hugging people I don't even know. And it's like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and so that's cool. And so for as... as as childish and as silly and as and as uh, unimportant as sports can seem, there is real value there. Oh, absolutely! Anything that can bring us that kind of connection is a wonderful thing. Yeah. So, well, yeah. hopefully, our conversation has brought some sort of a connection with uh, with you, the listener. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again sometime soon. Bring you back and talk about some more of what's going on with IU and maybe some older stories too. And uh, if nothing else, uh, continue to follow us. And next week will be our next installment of the history of comic books. At least next next week when you hear this. When you hear this, yes. Now, was it about the 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 the, the comic book movies? Comic the book movies, movies. absolutely. Right, right, right. Yes, I guess I do have to be very specific. The history <laughs> of comic books. Oh, that's that's an entire <laughs> different thing. That's right. That would take you know years forever. of podcasts. That's right. Yes. Well, yeah, maybe eventually, sometime. But uh, pick a character and do the history of that character. <laughs> that's right. Until next time, we will see you.